Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's up, everyone? And welcome to another edition of Believe in Falcons. I am your host, Will McFadden. You can follow me on Twitter at Will McFadden. And before we get into today's episode, in which I will be talking to Aaron Freeman, who is the host of the Locked on Falcons podcast, and really one of the more interesting people to follow on Falcons Twitter. You can follow him at FalcFans, and he's a lot like me, got a little bit of a cynical mind when it comes to sports. Uh, you, you may say he is the most uh, cynical Falcons fan out there in the world right now, um, so... You'll hear a little bit of that come through in our conversation. Um, but before we get to my cold open, let's take a uh, quick break and hear a word from today's sponsor. The month of June is heating up with a ton of exciting sports action, and Bet Online is where you can find it. From basketball and hockey playoffs to baseball's marquee matchups, including prop bets and futures. BetOnline has all the latest odds, news, and information for your online sports betting needs. Visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive a 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before the next tip-off, face-off, or pitch, head on over to BetOnline and start playing today. BetOnline, right, before we get to my conversation with experts. Aaron, uh, I want to take a quick moment and talk about Matt Ryan. Uh, you know, I, I don't think it's so weird, right? Because quarterback is obviously the most important position in probably all of sports. And Matt Ryan is really good. I, I, I kind of I know that as Falcons fans and, and people that follow Atlanta sports understand how underrated Matt Ryan really kind of is. Um, but having been around him because. I remember when Matt Ryan was drafted in 2008, distinctly reading a uh, preview on ESPN that basically Matt Ryan was going to be somewhere between Peyton Manning and Chad Pennington. And those are two very different players in, in a lot of ways, but also kind of the same player. And actually, that projection may have been right you know in a lot of ways Matt Ryan is kind of between those two players Chad Pennington was good at times he was never great and he was injured a lot never became kind of the prototypical drop back passer accurate thrower that you had to be in that era Peyton Manning on the other hand was all of that great drop back passer very cerebral quarterback, a leader, a professional on and off the field. And I think Matt Ryan is much closer to that end of the spectrum, but he is very much part of that lineage of player. And that's why I'm very interested to see what he can be with Arthur Smith, because I do think that the rollout play action type of style of game really did unlock something in Matt Ryan a little bit, but he's still such a good player. And it's a little bit surprising to me 
to reference another ESPN article that he was ranked outside of the top 10 of quarterbacks. And a lot of the players ahead of him were guys like uh, Justin Herbert and Kyler Murray and younger first, second, third year quarterbacks. But I, I think that what's so interesting about the sport is that you give credence to some of the veteran players, especially at that position. And that's why it's so fascinating to me to see somebody like Matt Ryan, who has been so accomplished. I I mean, over the past, I believe, three seasons is, is another stat that I saw. He is number one in passing yards. Now, he hasn't been throwing a lot of touchdowns, but... That, again, is a little bit of a byproduct of the offense that is being orchestrated by the offensive coordinator. And I think that that one of the flaws of Dirk Cutter's offense, and again, it should be noted, Matt Ryan was number one in passing yards. So Dirk was doing something right, and he always did prioritize and value explosive plays, and he achieved that goal. So, you know, Dirk is you can say whatever you want to say about him, but he's at least really good at his job. Uh, I mean, it's very hard to be an offensive play caller. And and I think that Dirk is, is a very smart uh, person. And so if Matt Ryan's touchdown totals weren't super high, I think that that does have something to do with the offensive play calling, but it's also really hard to just score touchdowns, especially in the red zone when the field shrinks. That becomes advantageous for the defense. So, you know, do with that whatever you will. But Matt Ryan is absolutely still capable of being one of the best quarterbacks in the league, especially when the game now makes it possible for a 43-year-old Tom Brady to win a Super Bowl. When it makes it possible for a nearly 40-year-old Aaron Rodgers to win the MVP. Matt Ryan's going to be 36. He's not going to be 82. He is absolutely as dedicated as any of those guys are. I've been able to see it up close in person. He is competitive as hell. Is absolutely the consummate professional. Is a smart player. Does his job and... I am very, very much bullish on a Matt Ryan rebound bounce back season. I think it's going to happen quicker under Arthur Smith than it did under Kyle Shanahan because I think Matt Ryan has benefited and learned from the Kyle Shanahan approach the first time around. And I think that he still has really good weapons around him. Um, so, you know, Arthur Smith, we saw what he did with Ryan Tannehill. And I think he's got a better player to work with right now in Matt Ryan. And I think it just uh, should be mentioned that... Yes, Julio Jones kind of dominated this offseason, and unfortunately so, but the Falcons do still have Matt Ryan. Calvin Ridley is a great player. Kyle Pitts looks like a a once-in-a-generation type of athlete, and 
let's uh let's let number two cook let's see what he's got so uh with that being said now is my conversation with aaron freeman Aaron Freeman now uh, joins me, host of the Locked On Falcons podcast, which is an excellent podcast. I have been on there, uh, I believe, twice, Aaron. And most notably, however, you've got a uh, Jonathan Babineau header on your Twitter profile, which is how we all know that you, you're, you're a real Falcons fan. You're a real one, man. Yeah, there was a couple of years ago where I was thinking about changing that uh, header and I, I asked the people you know do you want me to change my header and they were like no you you respect Jonathan Babineau to the day <laughs> you die and you know that will probably be my uh, header for many many years and to the point where no one's going to remember who Jonathan Babineau like who is this mm-hmm. random Falcon player on your header and I'm like Jonathan Babineau real run real ones no so that's me but that that's I mean that's the way like every fan or every team has that player for each iteration or generation of a, of a team. Right. And it's, you know, anybody from Algie Crumpler to Jonathan Babineau, you know, I I think TJ Duckett kind of also falls in it where it's these guys who are big contributors, but never reached star status, but to the fans of that team, they did. And that that's always, I love, that's one of my favorite things about being a fan. And, you know, you and I are of a certain age and there are people who are probably much older who have uh, Falcons players from the the seventies or the eighties who they remember very fondly, but it's up to, you know, everybody to continue to hype up the Jonathan Babineaus of the world so that they don't get lost to time because they were very important contributor. You know, Jonathan Babineau was Grady Jarrett before Grady Jarrett was Grady Jarrett and Grady Jarrett's better, but Jonathan Babineau was the precursor to that in a lot of ways. Yeah. And, you know, with the Grady Jarrett thing, like, I think people recognized how highly I thought of Grady Jarrett when I was willing to acknowledge that he was better than Jonathan Babineau <laughs> because people knew how yeah. highly I thought of, of Jonathan Babineau. So yeah, I, I think you're right there. So this this is the first time that we've really gotten a chance to talk this offseason um, at, at length. But what uh, obviously a lot has happened. Um, we had a, a whole draft, a whole free agency uh, come come and go. Uh, new coaching staff, new front office, um, everything in between. And this upcoming season is a, is a very important one for Atlanta. But what have been your kind of general thoughts, I guess, on the off season so far as, as it's played out? I'll be honest. I, I, when they hired Terry Fontenot, when they had hired Arthur Smith back in January, I had a high expectations that this off season was going to blow me away with sort of how differently they ran things and sort of the nuance and the savvy moves here or there and I, I'll be, I'll admit, like, I've been a little bit underwhelmed. And I don't know if that's <laughs> simply because I had overly high expectations or they have had a relatively speaking underwhelming first offseason. And it's not to say that that is because they're having a bad offseason. It was just, I thought there would be probably a little bit more bigger, bolder moves. And obviously, they made some big, bold moves with selecting Kyle Pitts and trading Julio Jones. But I, I think, those first couple of months of the offseason when the Falcons were kind of just, for lack of a better term, kind of twiddling their thumbs and going with 
you know, cheap veteran players that they, this coaching staff was familiar with. I, I had that expectation, but at the same time, watching them go through that process still was a little underwhelming for me. And it's interesting because having spent, you know, 14 ish years watching how Thomas Dimitrov ran the team and getting comfortable with that, even Mm -hmm. though being very critical about that on a consistent basis about the different moves that he made, you know, I was open to this idea of like, okay, Terry Fontenot is going to come in here and blow me away with doing it a completely different way. And while they certainly did things differently, I just kind of came away being like, hmm, they didn't really make any of the sort of big long decisions this offseason that I was thinking that they might. And instead, I felt like they punted a lot of those decisions in terms of, you know, extending certain players, restructuring contracts, whether they do at some of the key positions that I thought were concerns entering this offseason, like running back and cornerback and safety and pass rush, et cetera, uh, along the offensive line. I don't it's big, bold splashes that are like, okay, we're addressing, this is our attempt to sort of solve this problem for the next five to seven years. Mm-hmm. And it was more, a, a lot more short-term stuff. So from that perspective, I was underwhelmed. I, I don't want anybody to get the idea that I think they did a bad job. I just kind of went into this like, oh, this is going to be a big, sexy, splashy offseason <laughs> with this new uh, regime. And it wasn't that, which is fine, but you know, you know, as someone who covers the team on a daily basis, sometimes you just kind of want that big, sexy uh, content so that you can talk about it on your podcast. Yeah, I I mean, how much of that do you think is should be attributed to the salary cap the situation that they were in? Because I, I agree, like, I think when a new regime comes in, you expect them to overhaul everything. But I think we forget it wasn't until the second off season when Thomas Dimitrov went out and got, or it, it was, it was his first off season when he got Michael Turner and then Tony Gonzalez was the the next off season. So, you know, there, there are bits and pieces that, that you kind of build even in a, in a regime change, but how much do you attribute kind of the quietness of the off season relatively to the financial implications? I think that's the, you know, I, it's going to sound cynical and dismissive when I say this, the go-to <laughs> excuse for yeah. why they were low key. And I think it's a very justifiable excuse. I just kind of thought going into things that there would be sort of this underlying plan, you know, and I, and I contrast that with sort of Dimitrov's um, early years in Atlanta with a selection of and really clearly building a team, you know, having two sort of, paths on the team which is we're going to get our young quarter franchise quarterback and we're going to put the pieces around him those first couple of off seasons to be successful you know mm-hmm. with getting Michael Turner in the running game getting a reliable pass catcher in Tony Gonzalez and, and building up the offensive line with with some of those higher round picks like Sam Baker and whatnot and then on on top of that investing a lot of those resources in the defense because Hopkins really needed to improve their defense and I was looking for similar type of moves with the Terry Fontenot, where it's very clearly we're, we're, this is the path that we're heading on. And I feel like they made some forays into that, getting Kyle Pitts, certainly if you're going to build around Matt Ryan long-term, 
definitely a, a, an asset for you there, adding some pieces on the offensive line and, you know, adding a couple of pieces on the defense. So it's not to say that they didn't do those things, but it, it did feel like they were, I think, in a situation with their salary cap where they're going to, at some point, they're going to have to make some big, bold decisions as far as their salary cap, whether it's to spend the money, the what little money they do have, or it's to basically kind of gut the roster and give them a fresh start from a salary cap standpoint. And I felt like those big decisions were kind of deferred to next year, which again, I think is fine. And you sort of this season, I think is expected to be sort of a figuring it out type of year where it's like, what exactly do we have here? Mm -hmm. And then we can make more informed decisions next offseason. So I think it's very justifiable for them to have done what they did in terms of deferring and punting till next year. But, you know, as a person who creates content, I just, I just want to give it to me now. No. So, all right. So let's fast forward. It's, uh, you know, March of 2022. What are those next moves that you would like to see this team make? That's, that's an interesting question because right now, I'm kind of in the same wait and see mode because I want to see how certain players perform. Mm-hmm. Right. You, you have, I think the real three big moves that the team has to decide on is what to do about Matt Ryan, what to do about Calvin Ridley and his contract, what to do about Grady Jarrett. And with all three of those guys, if you do go into next offseason, it's time for us to give these guys extensions. Those are going to be hefty extensions. Yep. I think given the expectations that you're going to have that Calvin Ridley is going to have this quote unquote breakout season as this number one receiver and potentially a pro bowl, which I do have those expectations on him. You know, when it comes to next off season, if the Falcons going to try to lower his fifth year option, which is I think around $11 million, you know, and give him a contract extension, that's going to lower that cap hit. You know, you're probably going to look at costing North of $20 million a year in terms of a, a high level contract. The same thing applies with Grady Jarrett, where, you know, I, I feel like at a minimum, if the Falcons are going to approach him about a contract extension going into 2022, which is going to be his year as well, you know, you're looking at the Leonard Williams extension this past offseason where he got $21 million a year. And so that's going to be the sort of starting point for an extension for Grady Jarrett as well. And then you have Matt Ryan, you know, who will be entering his age 37 season. And then you, what's notable is that you look at the quarterbacks that have been that age, the Drew Brees, the Phillip Rivers, the Tom Brady's, the, the Ben Roethlisberger's, the successful quarterbacks at that age. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens with Aaron Rodgers. But you know, most of those guys kind of started taking discounts around that age to help facilitate their team's success moving forward. And, and that was especially true with, with Drew Brees and Tom Brady in New Orleans, in New England, uh, in their last you know four or five years. So if you're going to extend Matt Ryan and say, okay, we're committed to Matt Ryan for the next three to five years, part of me is like, well, you're going to have to get Matt Ryan to take a below market deal. But at the same time, Matt Ryan's never taken a below market deal. And the going rate for a, a quarterback, you know, a high level quarterback at, uh, nowadays is going to be, you know, 35, $40 million a year. But it kind of behooves the Falcons to try to get Matt Ryan a sign that's closer to like 25 million a year that would be comparable to sort of the discounts that guys like Breeze and Brady and, and Rivers and Roethlisberger take, took a, towards the end of their careers. So for me, like, these are all interesting questions. And obviously I would love for the Falcons to do whatever it takes to keep all their best players and keep them all happy. 
But, you know, these are going to be interesting points for this new regime to tackle because you have this offseason where they were very much anti-spending, but next offseason kind of sets them up where they're going to have to be very pro-spending. And I think a lot of that depends on how good the team is this year. If the team makes the playoffs this year, it becomes a easy pill to swallow to spend the money in order to retain these core pieces that were instrumental to your team making the playoffs. But if the team has another losing season, mm-hmm. then it's going to be a little bit harder to justify paying all these guys, you know, these market contracts, uh, uh, you know, nine months from now. So I, I it, to me, it's all fascinating. And, and it gets back to what we were talking about earlier with this new regime making big, bold decisions. Like, they're going to have to make some big, bold decisions next offseason, whether that's yeah. to pay these guys, not pay these guys, keep these guys, trade these guys, all these various things, not to mention restructures with Jake Matthews, restructures potentially with De- Deion Jones. What do you do? You resign Russell Gage? Do you resign Foya Olakun? What about Hayden Hurst? You know, all these other uh, pieces on the mm-hmm. roster that uh, they're going to have to make some of those big decisions that we were just talking about that they didn't necessarily make this offseason. I think the, so obviously the, the Matt Ryan stuff, that's probably a conversation between him and Arthur blank at this point, right? If, if Thomas was still here, then your quarterback and GM may be able to have that frank conversation. You know, he's the person that selected Matt, all of that, but Thomas isn't there anymore. And so whether or not there's that level of trust and, and Terry could speak to that whole situation with Drew Brees and say, look, the reason we were able to play to make, you know, three straight playoffs and, and stay competitive, even with an aging quarterback was because of what Drew did to allow us to re-sign Marshawn Lattimore and to, to sign, you know, Demario Davis and, and those types of players. But right now with Thomas gone, that's probably a conversation between Matt and, and the owner. And it's, it's Arthur saying, look, I, he's as competitive as they come. And so is Matt. And it's probably bridging that mutual competitiveness to say, look, if you want to win, we want you to be a Falcon for life. I do believe that Arthur said, meant that when he said that about Matt Ryan specifically. And I think that Arthur would want to keep him here. I think Matt probably wants to stay here. I mean, this is where his family is. You know, he's established roots here. He's got the community. Um, if I were in his shoes, I don't know if when I'm 36, 37, 40, that I want to then be moving. And he may, he may want to go back up to, to Philly or, or the Northeast, or he may want to go out West. Who knows? I, I'm not Matt Ryan. I'm not going to speak for him, but that's my thought on a potential pay cut. There is I, I, Matt might be open to it. He's been paid essentially the market value for a quarterback throughout his career. And the dude is competitive as hell. And so if, if he wants to win, there's a potential path there. As far as Grady, one thing that I've thought um, when they have not yet approached him about uh, essentially renegotiating his deal or extending his deal is they may want to see what he looks like in this defense. And his role is probably different in a Dean Pease defense than it was in a Dan Quinn defense where they relied on four to get pressure and having a great interior one gap pass rusher was very valuable. If Dean Pease does want to be versatile and he does want to change up, you know, his his fronts and have blitzers coming from all over the defense, and all of a sudden now you're asking, all right, we've got a four-man 
base on the line of scrimmage, but we're going to drop one of those guys ultimately. And then it's going to be a three man front. And instead we're asking you now to kind of play more of a one technique and take on a guard and a center. Is that what Grady is best at? So they may not want to pay for a player that has succeeded in a one gap defense, pay him that money and then utilize him in more of a kind of a two gap role if that's what they, so that's where I, I stand on the Grady stuff is let's see what it looks like for one year. And if he's that successful, then yeah, can, uh, keep expecting him to be Grady Jarrett. Um, but you mentioned kind of the keeping all of the stars, the, the Falcons were not able to do that this off season in, in choosing to trade away Julio Jones. Are they ready to replace Julio in 2021? Or do you think that this will be maybe a potential problem for years two and three of, of the Arthur Smith offense, if they truly don't have that game-changing offensive talent. Let's say Kyle Pitts is, is good, not great. Calvin Ridley fails to kind of be the dominant presence that Julio was. Do you think the Falcons are, are ready to replace Julio right now? Uh, to answer that last question, no. Um, I think Calvin Ridley and, and Kyle Pitts will help mitigate the loss of Julio Jones much better than you know your typical replacement level type of player but i think the the biggest thing that you're going to lose with julio jones is the explosive playmaking skills mm -hmm. and while i think kyle pitts and, and calvin ridley have explosive playmaking skills i don't know if you know julio has been one of the consistently one of the most explosive wide receivers in the nfl for his entire career and I don't know if Calvin Ridley, especially in an offense where he's going to kind of have to be the workhorse. And I think the benefit of playing opposite Julio Jones these last couple of years is that he could kind of focus on being more of that playmaker and being more much more of a vertical threat, particularly in the Dirk Cutter years, than he was uh, under Sark or, or where he was in Alabama. And I think now he's going to be asked to be a little bit more of this sort of classic possession receiver that will still generate explosive plays because he's Calvin Ridley and he's very good. But I do wonder if, if he does take a step back in terms of generating those explosive plays, mm -hmm. where are you going to get those from? And you're leaning heavily on Kyle Pitts to kind of be that guy right out of the gates as a rookie. And, you know, that's never really been Hayden Hurst's game. That's never really been so Gage's game. And so unless they can develop a complete, basically new skill set now, you know, for Gage in, in year four and in Hurst for year four as well, they haven't necessarily consistently shown in the past. They flashed it, but not consistently. You know, you're kind of leaning heavily on Kyle Pitts to be that guy. And I think that's probably a better bet in year two for Kyle Pitts, given the history that tight ends don't exactly hit the ground running as rookies. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like you can feel a little bit more confident and optimistic that Kyle Pitts can kind of pick up that Julio Jones slack in 2022 and beyond. But this year, I do think that's going to be something that they're going to be missing in their offense. And I, the question that I think is going to be the degree of how much they're missing it to the point, does it become something that becomes a priority to add next offseason? Not necessarily with, oh, they're going to use a first round pick on a wide receiver, but are we going to get into like day two of the draft and say, you know, there's this good, young, fast wide receiver that can be more of that vertical outside stretch receiver that they're kind mm -hmm. of missing by not having Julio 
Jones? And does that become a position that they prioritize on, you know, the third round or the fourth round of the draft where history kind of tells us that you can get guys that can fill that role that late in the draft. So it's, it's not a bad spot to be in, but I, I kind of wonder if, how big a priority is that? Is that going to be a want or is that going to be considered a, somewhat of a need going into next offseason? Yeah. And I think a lot of it also depends again on the, the success of the team, because when Julio was drafted, one of the, my favorite internal stories with the organization was the reason because the Falcons were the number one seed. I mean, they, they hosted that playoff game against green Bay. Like it's not often that you see a 13 and three team jump up all the way in the draft to go target, especially a wide receiver where that'll never happen again, given what we're seeing now with the value at that position and and day two seems to be like you can get a really good player late in the first round second round whatever but the reason they targeted julio was they needed an offensive player that could really take the explosiveness over the top they just couldn't keep up with green bay in that game and they lacked firepower that team especially with Tony Gonzalez and Michael Turner was built to dominate time of possession. We're going to be very efficient with our drives. Every drive sending him points. We're not turning the ball over and we're going to beat you 24 to 17. And that's kind of the way that team was designed when they got blown out by the Packers who put up 40 on them. They realized we can't keep up with the way the game is evolving. And they determined we need Julio Jones next to Roddy White. It's not good enough just to have Roddy White and Michael Jenkins and, you know, a good tight end and a good running game. We need an explosive receiver. So I think you're exactly right. Taking that out, it's been a long time since we've seen the Falcons not be at least a a top 10 explosive offense. I mean, regardless of points or efficiency in the red zone or whatever, they were an explosive offense. As long as Julio was on the field, he could make anything happen at any time. So I, I think you're exactly right there. It's probably not something that we're heading out of the 2021 season, understanding whether or not they need that player or not. But if, especially if Kyle Pitts doesn't evolve into that really dynamic, you're drawing the eyes of all of the defenders before the snap type of player, the Falcons could be, back in the market for one more guy to add to this offense. So before we get into our top three things that we want to see in training camp, I just have one final kind of bigger picture picture question for you. And that is your prediction for the 2021 season. Well, you've caught me on a better day than usual. So I'm (laughs) not as pessimistic as the last time you asked me this question throughout they the went, summer um, the last time but you, right yes, now i just kind of super bowl my, so yes that's true that's true i was not at all optimistic going into that 2016 season <laughs> and i i try to learn my lesson and say you know and be open to their potential to be good um but right now i just kind of my expectation is too many things have to go right for them that as a you know, Falcon fan for 30 years has beaten me down to know that things don't usually go in this team's favor enough to, to feel overly optimistic. So I'm, I'm kind of in this mode of they're probably going to be like an eight win team, you know, eight this year, yeah. maybe nine and eight uh, if they can get some breaks. And I think that's good enough to be 
competitive and, and in December in the mix, uh, in the wild card mix or whatever the case may be. We'll just sort of have to see if that's good enough to wind up, you know, winning like a, a seven seed or a six seed or something like that. So I, I certainly expect them to be in the wild card chase. And I think the success of their schedule gives them a, a little bit of a boost that maybe when I look at them on paper, I don't necessarily look at them and see that caliber of a team um, automatically as I would looking at other teams. But I, I think this team will be competitive, a lot more competitive than were a year ago. I just wonder if they're going to get that extra oomph that they need to, to really exceed those expectations and, and be a legit, you know, 10 plus win team uh, that can sort of write their own destiny. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you there because like when you look at the roster, again, the reason the Falcons were so head scratching for the past few seasons is there are legitimately really good players on this roster and especially at some of the key spots. You know, you've got a good quarterback. You've got a good left tackle. You've had one of the best receivers in the game and now you have one of the best young receivers in the game. You've got a really good linebacker, a really good defensive tackle. It looks like a really good young corner. There are pieces in place and that's why it's been so, you know, befuddling why this team finished four and 12. And so I, I like, I think, I think the fans always seem to want to, if, if they think their team's going to be bad, they tend to put on some rose colored glasses and say, well, they're going to go seven and nine or they're, or I guess now seven and 10, or yeah. they always tend to kind of lean more towards the middle of the pack. Like we're not going to be horrible. We're going to be middle of the pack. I worry that we're doing that with the Falcons and that they will be closer to like the five and 12 uh, range. But what I just said also sticks in my mind is there are good players. And as long as you've got a good quarterback and I do think Arthur Smith is a good coach and that he's got a good coaching staff, I wouldn't be shocked at all if they go nine and eight or 10 and seven and whether or not that gets them in that final wild card spot or competing for the division or what have you. I, I think it's in play. I just, I'm sure I'll be more excited once the, uh, the first, the first uh, number on the the calendar turns to eight and it's August and training camp is, is rolling around, but I'm still in a little bit of a wait and see mode. So let's, let's start, let's talk training camp now and let's uh, do our top three things that we want to see either unfold during training camp or coming out of training camp. Um, we'll, we'll start with you, Aaron. What is your number three thing that you want to see from the Falcons in training camp this year? Well, I'll say up front that I love the preseason and I missed it last summer because I like seeing the young players <laughs> yeah. and the, the leaps that guys make from year one to year two and year two to year three. So a lot of mine are going to be devoted to which young guys emerge at some, some key positions. So I, I guess for me, um, I, I kind of want to see the young pieces in the secondary that the Falcons did kind of revamp with guys like Darren Hall and Richie Grant. I want to see those guys emerge and, and carve out immediate roles because when I look at the, rest of the Falcon secondary it's like AJ Terrell and not a whole lot else I like Deron Harmon but like that that's not going to give you a great secondary so I, I kind of feel like guys like Richie Grant and Darren Hall are going to need to kind of hit the ground running and, and yeah. find starting spots my expectation Richie Grant will be the starting free safety over Eric Harris my expectation is that Darren Hall will win that start cornerback so I, I you know my expectation and my hope 
that I'm hoping to see as we get into training camp and ultimately, you know, will be on display in the preseason is that those guys hit the ground running a little bit to a certain extent. Um, and at least even if they're not necessarily come in out of the gates and, and play great football, can at least play good enough football to wind up winning some of these starting spots. Yeah, no, I, I that's good that you kind of went with uh, some of the younger players because I've gone a little bit more with, with the veterans. And I think that the new coaching staff, um, uh, just the key to this team being good in 2021. And I use good obviously in, in a loose way there, but, um, it relies more, I think on the veterans. So that's why the the third on my list is just how Matt Ryan is going to look in, in Arthur Smith's offense. I think we've seen versions of this probably more with the Steve Sarkeesian version of the offense than maybe the, the Kyle Shanahan. Um, but I like, I, I think that looking back at Dirk Cutter's offense and, and both he and, and DQ would say it's still the Falcons offense ever Dirk Cutter. The number of times that he said, everybody runs the same stuff. Like there, it's not any different team to team. I don't think I buy that because it's the way that you deploy what is quote unquote, the same stuff. And the way that everybody deploys their stuff is very different. And that takes adjustment and it takes adjustment on the part of the players. It takes adjustment on the part of the coaches to adjust to the players and what they do well and what they don't do well. And so early on, just how does Matt Ryan fit in? Is it like riding a bike? You know, when you're doing the play action passes and you have to turn your back to the defense, is he comfortable with that immediately once again? Because the past couple of years, it's been just straight dropbacks. It's been seven step drops. It's been, we're looking, scanning as we're dropping back. We're seeing how the play unfolds. And is it more like riding a bike all of a sudden going back to the opposite or is there going to be a learning curve? So the most important thing for the Falcons in 2021 is for Matt Ryan to really gel and click in that offense. So I feel almost bad putting it at, at number three on my list, but that's, uh, that's where it's at because it, it's going to be extremely important is how comfortable is Matt Ryan also now without his safety blanket in Julio Jones, just does the offense elevate his play or are there some, some learning curves? Yeah. For me, number two is kind of building off of the point I made earlier talking about the secondary, you know, it's going to be the guys up front, the young guys up front um, with particular and John Kaminsky, mm-hmm. um, you know, Marlon Davidson's rookie season, was kind of a wash thanks a lot in large part to injuries and whatnot and you know for the two games basically that he was healthy last year against like the Raiders in the first Saints game I thought he played really well uh in those games um but outside of that like he just kind of was dealing with a a bunch of nagging injuries knee issues and, and COVID and whatnot and so I'm looking at this pass rush and thinking okay you got Grady Jarrett you're you're hoping Dante Fowler has a back year but who's going to be the third wheel, right? Who's going to be the third horseman of the apocalypse? And you're kind of hoping Marlon Davidson can step up and be that guy. And then if not him, then you look at a player like John Kaminsky, who when we drafted him was considered a project, but I looked at him and I'm like, okay, I don't know how much contributions John Kaminsky is going to contribute in his first couple of years. 
three is usually when these project type of guys yep. figure it out. Right. And so for me, like this is the year where John Kaminsky kind of has to figure it out. I'm not expecting John Kaminsky to come out here and be this dominant player. Like I remember someone comparing him to Jared Allen when we drafted him. And I was like, okay, you need to pump the brakes a little bit on that. But like, I'm not expecting him to be that type of guy, but in terms of being a guy that can give you some reliable pass rush and, you know, on those days when Marlon Davidson may not have it, you know, he can be sort of that third wheel in your pass rush and, and give you another player on that interior that can provide some push up the middle. I feel like you kind of need those two guys, especially to really step up because I, I don't know outside of Grady Jerry and Dante Fowler, who else you can turn to that has the level of talent that those two players have, you know, whether you're looking at the outside linebackers or the defensive linemen that you can really trust to say that guy can be a major contributor to the Falcons improved pass rush. Yeah, I, I did uh, a couple of weeks ago, five uh, breakout players and five kind of guys who were on the hot seat entering the season. And I had Marlon Davidson as my honorable mention for the breakout. And I had John Kaminsky as number five on that list. So I'm right there with you. I, I think I completely agree with the third year, especially for a player like John. Um, can he put it all together? I think that he's shown improvement his rookie year as it progressed. And then last year you saw flashes that he can make plays in the backfield. He can get back there. He's, he's got, he's not the quickest guy in the world and he's not the most technically proficient, but he can combine enough of both to give some offensive linemen uh, problems. And I, I would be really interested to see how they use him on this defense. Do they move him around if they do varied fronts, you know, can he play uh, a five technique end in, in maybe a three, four, can he, bump out and play a wide nine in a, in a four, three look like, you know, that type of stuff. But I'm my number two is also a player who was in Marlin's draft class. And that is AJ Terrell. And can he make that next step um, after a really good rookie year? You know, we saw, I, I don't think he looked scared or overmatched in any single game that he played last year. I think that he took on some of the best wide receivers in the league and he matched up with them really well. He gave up more catches, I think, than either you or I would like. Um, but that is where the improvement comes in. Because while he gave up those catches, he was in position to make a lot more plays than he ended up making. And if he is able to just kind of refine his skills when the ball is in the air, I think that he has the foundation to be a top seven cornerback in this league uh, because I, I think that he has enough athletically, both physically and speed and agility wise to keep up with any type of receiver you throw at him. If, if it's a Mike Evans, he can get his hands on him. He can stay with him. He can prevent Mike Evans from stacking him. But if it's, you know, a, Terry McLaurin type of, of player. And actually I would really be interested to see that matchup. I think Terry might actually get AJ a couple of times. That dude's really good. Um, but that smaller, quicker, just speed receiver who also has some agility. I think AJ can, can at least hang with him. You know, we saw what he was able to do with Tyreek Hill a little bit last year in using his physicality to kind of throw off that pure speed uh, a little bit. And so all of that makes is the makings for a great corner. If he can just start capitalizing on the position that he 
awards himself with and get some turnovers, get some, you know, more pass defenses, things like that, then AJ turns this defense into a much more difficult one because they have not had a true playmaker in the secondary since that, that first half of the 2016 season with, with true Um, there, there really hasn't been. And even before that, I mean, what Asante Samuel that one year, uh, D'Angelo Hall, Brent Grimes, like there's only a handful of, of corners in the past two decades that you can really point to for Atlanta who have been difference makers. And I think AJ Terrell can become one. And if he does that in 2021, then I do think Atlanta can make kind of a, a run at a potential postseason appearance. Yeah. You know, AJ is interesting because like, we know he's good. It's just a question of how good can yeah. he be? And you go back to his rookie season and particularly in the second half of the season, it was interesting because I think it was like those week 13, 14 and 15 against the saints, the chargers and the bucks where they kind of used him as a shadow corner. Mm-hmm. And when you look at sort of his production in those games, starting the numbers, he wasn't particularly productive shadowing guys like Michael Thomas and Keenan Allen and uh, Mike Evans. I, I, like I want to say that he gave up like a 80% completion rate to those three guys in those three yeah. games. But then when you look at him over like the last two games of the season, when they went back to parking him on the left side of the field, like I think he gave up like 40% production on that. So to me, the big question with AJ Terrell, what we're going to see unfold over the next couple of years is, is he one of those that like what Trufant was, you know, in his heyday, which is you park him on one side of the field. And it's not to say that he shuts down that side of the field, but he kind of can slant the field a little bit yeah. because it's kind of a no fly zone on his side of the field or is he more that guy that you can trust that when Trufant was at his best, that you could put him against some of the premier corners or premier wide receivers in the league, like the Mike Evans is Antonio Browns and feel like that guy can hold his own. And I feel like you saw flashes of that last year when he was asked to do that shadow corner stuff, but you just didn't see it kind of all come together to really trust him full time for that role. So that to me is where the potential of, of AJ Terrell lies. And I think it's going to be interesting to see, uh, if he sort of lives up to that potential starting this year or, or in the future and whatnot. But uh, for yeah. me, the last point for me, uh, continuing along the youth movement, uh, I, I, <laughs> I'm very nervous about this offensive line. And we talk about building around Matt Ryan and, and if Matt Ryan's going to be your guy. Um, you know, I don't know if it's in the best interest of the team to have these green left, guard and centers because the stock quarterback that Matt Ryan is that he likes to step up into a clean pocket so he can make the throws that he is capable of making. And, um, you know, you have your question marks at that left guard and center position. And, um, you know, I, I don't know if that's an area of your roster that you want to have marks at in terms of that left guard and center position. And I'm very curious to see how that competition with Josh Andrews and Jalen Mayfield seemingly goes at the left guard position, how that competition at the center position in terms of Matt Hennessy and Drew Dahlman goes, because it seems like regardless the Falcons are going to have a first year starter at both their starting left guard and starting center spot. And history has not, at least in Atlanta, to first year starting offensive women <laughs> uh, for the most part. 
And so I'm curious to see if Dwayne Ledford and company can um, do better than it has gone in, in past years. And, uh, or if we're in a similar situation that we were in 2015 with over and they basically played the Miami Dolphins in the preseason game and Earl Mitchell and Derek Shelby decided they wanted to wreck James Stone and Ryan Schrader and the Falcons basically went out and completely overhauled their offensive line between then and the start of the regular season. And guess what? Falcons get to play the Dolphins, I believe, in the second preseason game, which is the new dress rehearsal game with one fewer preseason game. Uh, so it, it feels like history is kind of repeating itself a little bit. I, like I, I've seen this more movie play out before and I don't like the ending of how it goes. So uh, that that to me is one of the big concerns I have going in, into training camp and, and seeing how that all plays out. Uh, how dare you invoke the uh, 2015 offensive line um, on this, on this podcast? Uh, don't you wish, don't you wish that upon uh, this team? But I, I agree with you. I, I mean, I think the offensive line, my one pushback with that is if this is truly more of a throwback to uh, the, the Kyle Shanahan Sark offense, we're going to be seeing more rollouts. We're going to be seeing more moving of the pocket, getting the offensive line in advantageous positions and angles to get uh, a seal off for Matt. I don't think it's going to be as much, you know, pure drop back, stepping up into the pocket and potentially right into the face of um, pressure via two younger offensive linemen. I, th I think that the coaching staff will figure out a way to do that. What are, what are your thoughts on Jalen Mayfield real quick? I, cause I kind of watched him on, on film and I liked what I saw a little bit. I, I know that he's raw and, and doesn't have a ton of playing time, but he looked much more fundamentally sound and polished for somebody who didn't play a whole lot in college. Um, I don't have a high opinion of Jalen Mayfield. Okay. Uh, I'll just be upfront <laughs> with that. Uh, I have a lot of, to me, he's a project, right? Yeah. Like the way I kind of compared it and I know, you know, I don't want to trigger anybody listening to this, but it, it's similar to me kind of, of like the Falcons drafting Rashid Hageman um, in a year where they kind of needed someone that wasn't a, a project to come yeah. in and, and sort of be a little bit more polished immediate like I need this guy coming in you kind of compare it a little bit to in 2008 when the Falcons drafted Sam Baker over Dwayne Brown now obviously Dwayne Brown has gone on to have a much better career than Sam Baker has but the Falcons justification for taking Sam Baker was that they had a massive hole at that left tackle position they yeah. needed a guy that had been a effective starter at USC for three years you know, all American in Sam Baker, rather than Dwayne Brown, who was a guard at Virginia Tech that had one year as a left tackle, very athletic, but very raw. And if you watched Dwayne Brown those first couple of years in Houston, he struggled mightily. Yep. And then he wound up figuring it out. And I, I my, my hope is that Jalen Mayfield will wind up figuring it out. But I kind of feel like you're going to go through a lot more growing pains than you probably needed to, uh, given the types of talents that were available in the draft. So I'm hopeful for Jalen Mayfield long-term, but I do wonder a little bit if he is forced into the starting lineup into year one, how good he can be. The positive I will say about Jalen Mayfield is he doesn't have to be a star, right? If he can just basically be a lateral move to James Carpenter, I feel like with the improved play calling and whatnot, 
that that is good enough, right? Like we yeah. can live with that. No one's going to be, you know, you know, n- Matt Ryan will will still be alive at the end of the season. Um, if 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 Jalen Mayfield is only as good as James Carpenter, and I feel like that's a relatively low bridge to clear. So, if if you can get some optimism out of me in regards to Jalen Mayfield, is basically he probably won't be worse than Jalen James Carpenter. Like I guess that's good. You know, that's a, that's basically as far as I can go on that. But uh, we'll just sort of see if I wind up being wrong about that or or where he winds up falling this summer. So if he can have a net total of zero wins above replacement, that will uh, that will make you happy. <laughs> That's what you're saying. I, I just I just need you to not be terrible. That's all. That's all. You know. And I think James Carpenter, for the most part last year, was not terrible. In 2019, no, he, he was terrible. Bad. Yeah. Yeah. In 2020, he was not terrible. And I'll, I'll I can take that. Like you know, beggars can't be choosers is the phrase I often say in regards to the Falcons. Usually, it's in reference to their pass rush. Um, but you know, at this point in time, I'll take it with the offense. Yeah, and I mean the good thing about the offensive line is you you don't have to be a star to to succeed there. You can be a good player and you could have five good good players, five above average players even, and you can have a really good offense. So it, it's more about the collective than it is any single individual at that spot. Um, all right, my number one thing that I want to see, and this is coming out of training camp, is I need the Falcons to head into the regular season having suffered no more than three notable injuries and i use notable there to mean a variety of things but really notable isn't star players it's not you know i i need no more than than dion grady and kyle pitts to get it like those are one of those players going down is catastrophe just rotational guys I need no more than three guys who would see at least 15 to 20 snaps in a game getting hurt. Um, I, I, you know, I, the 2018 season obviously was, was the big year and it kind of set the tone in camp when um, a, a few guys went, you know, I think uh, Lowry went down the first day of practice, uh, the safe, or maybe that was mid season, but there were just a few guys who, who went down, first, second, third day of camp. And you could just kind of tell that it wasn't good. I mean, it, it festered within the team, just the, the notion of the snake bittenness, the media, we all started talking about it. It was just it. Cause I felt like 2018 had the chance to be the Falcons best team that, that year. And then obviously everybody gets hurt the first couple of weeks of the season guys are lost for the year and it was it was just horrible. So I need the Falcons to stay healthy in camp. To if we want to see what this coaching staff can do, then this needs to be the main criteria heading into the season. Is we need to see what this coaching staff, what Arthur Smith, what Dean Pease, what all of these guys can do with a full roster and and utilize all their players, figure out what they have. Because like you said, Aaron, going into 2022, if that's when they're going to start making their moves, then they need to know what they're, they're playing with. They need to know what actual moves they need to make, what pieces they need to bring in, what they have, what they don't have. And you can't do that if, if guys are sidelined for the year. So you, you can't win the uh, Lombardi trophy in training camp. You can lose it. And that's all I need the Falcons to uh, to not do is 
get guys hurt uh, in practice. Yeah. Uh, you know, for me, my biggest concern about this team is their depth. Yeah. Right? I think you mentioned it. They have star players and, you know, those top seven, eight, however many you want to count of high level players, blue chip, red chip, whatever, top 10, top 15 type of players at their respective positions. You know, if those guys stay healthy, they're good, but they start losing a couple of those guys. You have, you know, a lot of unproven depth at this point. I mean, and maybe yeah. by the years in, some of those guys will be a lot more proven and, and, and you know, rise above expectations. Um, but that's my biggest concern with this team is if they just have a relatively normal amount of injuries, which means, you know, you're going to lose a couple of star players for a couple of games, you know, that, that, that can wind up being the difference between, you know, having that sort of season and, uh, being out of the playoff mix come December versus, you know, a potential nine or 10 win season and being firmly in the playoff mix uh, just because a couple of guys miss a couple of games here uh, and it winds up diminishing your team because you just cannot replace, you know, the Calvin Ridley's and the Deion Joneses of the world because you just don't have the talent and the depth um, to, you're, you're just kind of a little too reliant on some of that top end talent. So that is my big concern. So I, I share that same sentiment that hopefully we can go into September healthy. Uh, and then that will at least give me a little bit of confidence that at least coming out of the gates, they can start relatively strong. Yeah. And, and I agree with everything that you just said. And I think that's maybe the overarching mission of Terry Fontenot is rebalance the talent on this team, because the reason they were in kind of the position they were in is you were very top heavy with your star players and you paid your star players, but then you only had a handful of, of guys on either side of the ball that were really, really dominant. And once you started losing any of those players, then you quickly came back down to, uh, to earth. So I, I agree with you there. Let's not get hurt. Um, in, in these preseason games that you love, I'm fine. If they, they uh, just play a lot of the the younger guys, uh, which I'm sure you would enjoy as well. Um, but but Aaron, thank you so much for coming on today. Uh, it was a lot of fun to to get your thoughts. I I appreciate and enjoy your pessimism. Uh, this is probably the the team. If if any fan base was going to embrace pessimism as uh, its uniting emotion, it's probably this one. So, uh, you are, you are the patron saint of pessimism and you can, you can have that Twitter bio for free right there. Okay. Um, Appreciate but it. everybody can follow you on Twitter at Falk fans and you were just recently verified. So congratulations on that. Uh, you know, given your, your verified opinions out there, everybody now has to, to listen to what you say and listen to all that pessimism, but Aaron, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, the benefit of being verification is it means that every previous take prior to you being verified has been proven correct. That's what that means, getting that blue <laughs> check mark. So it's only now that we restart the counter where I can possibly be wrong about things. But prior to that, I've never been wrong about anything because I've been verified. But of course, people can check me out there. Careful. Now that you're verified, you can actually be canceled. That wasn't possible beforehand, but, but now the, uh, the clock's ticking on you, my friend. I live under that shadow every single day that I have to, okay, 
can I be snarky today? And will this be taken the wrong way now that I am verified? Uh, so I, I might have to dial back on the snark this upcoming season. So uh, if I if I'm you know up out of Twitter by the end of the year, you, you guys will understand why because I did not dial it back enough uh, in 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 that case. All right, everybody, tweet at Falk fans with your canceled takes. And uh, Aaron Freeman, thank you so much for uh, for hopping on. This was awesome. Appreciate it, man. Man, Aaron is one of my favorite people to get the chance to talk to. It's so interesting. You know, obviously, this is a big part of fan culture, but Aaron and I have never met in person, but he's somebody that I really connected with, I think, uh, over Twitter. And I believe Aaron feels probably the same way is that we have a somewhat cynical view of sports in that it's not always sunshine and rainbows. You know, it, you have to be good at your job in order to succeed and especially in a professional sports environment. And I think that we are somewhat critical of the way that, uh, various persons go about, uh, doing the uh the whole professional sports job so it was great i really hope you enjoyed uh that conversation with aaron definitely give him a follow and listen to uh his podcast with alan sterk uh alan's uh another kind of online friend of mine and yeah uh, i think we are gonna have much more to talk about very soon and i can't wait for training camp to roll around it's always uh, my favorite time of the year. It's really the only time that the media ever gets to watch any of the practices. Um, and I'm going to hopefully make it up to a couple uh, this summer. Obviously not as much as I would have been uh, where I was still with the team. But yeah, I will let you guys know everything that I'm seeing. Can't wait to see kind of the new way that they go about doing things. Um, but today's podcast was brought to you by Bet Online, and it will probably be bringing you uh, future podcasts. So there you go. Um, a lot more Falcons fun stuff, I would say, is is on the way because, man, football season's right around the corner. It's the best time of the year. It's hot as hell in Georgia, but it's about to turn cooler and with the cold weather comes awesome football and we don't have julio jones but we've got an ascending calvin ridley we've got kyle pitts is on the team matt ryan is still here man Deion jones aj terrell is a really good cornerback a lot of exciting stuff guys so as always take care and i'll see you next week With the McDonald's app, you can get your favorite thing delivered to your door. So if you were looking for a reason to skip washing those dishes you left in the sink, consider this a sign. Right now, get $0 delivery fee with any purchase of $15 or more, only in the app. At participating McDonald's, minimum purchase excludes tax and service fees. Delivery prices may be higher than in restaurants. Other fees may apply, not valid with any other offer, discount, or coupon. 
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.